Gemini podcast to magically disappoint your parents. Welcome to 2020 with this other new episode. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I want to thank Nicole for being here, helping me out, co-host. No probs. I mean, um, it's it's a new year and we're holding space for each other. So thank you so much. No problem. (laughs) (laughs) Right to the sentiments. Um, Nicole, will you tell everyone about our episode today? What's going on? Today's episode is centered on mental health awareness and the topic may stray into subjects such traumatizing subjects like interpersonal violence, depression, etc. So I'm going to leave it up to the listeners to really uh, check in with themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, to yeah, I mean, you know, you could always listen to this later. Yeah. Way later or whenever you're ready. It's like whatever. No pressure. I really like that because sometimes, you know, we have very loyal listeners like, no, <laughs> pressing play now. And it's like, I wasn't ready. Um, I want to introduce, you know, I, I live in a great city in Las Vegas where I get to really connect um, one-to-one with the people in my everyday life like Jenna. Um, I don't know if it's cool to say your last name. Yeah. Jenna Halili. Um, we knew each other from the kickboxing gym and, you know, she not only kicks ass, but she also... Um, really kicks ass, I guess, in other aspects of her work. Um, so, Jenna, will you tell us how you grew up in Las Vegas? Yes. Um, so, I was born and raised in Las Vegas. Um, I I was with my parents from very young all the way until 11, and then mm-hmm. they got divorced. So, um, I pretty much lived in a single mother household most of my life. Wow. Um The reason for being here today is to talk about a little about my life and personal um, experiences with domestic violence. Um, My dad was actually very physically and emotionally abusive, Mm. uh, reason being why my mom left that relationship. Um, So being in a Filipino household, we were very traditional. So my mom was always the passive one. My dad Mm. believed in, you know, the woman picks up after the male that we um, are like the stay at home, do everything, and the man just makes the work. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, growing up in that, I feel like I've it really molded who I am today, and I'm really thankful for it. So I'm glad to be here talking about it today. Yeah, I feel like a lot of our listeners are going to really relate with that. Nicole, did you have something to? That's a really different way of and I'm I'm gonna say that's a cool way of looking at like uh looking back at trauma mm-hmm. and like being thankful in a way for that trauma mm-hmm. and not um it just the the healing process is just so evident when you describe your upbringing like that and Absolutely. thank you for sharing oh no problem yeah it's you're right I mean there's a lot there and I think that um, a lot of people power through what you've been through. Um, So what else should we ask to Jenna about? Um, Tell us, I I love this this question, I steal it from Mark, so um, (laughs) what is it that you do or what is it that people think that you do and what is it that you actually do? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a good one. Okay, so I'm a victim advocate with um, Metro, the police department here. 
Um, a lot of people think that just means like I am a therapist. Mm. Um, and I'm not, I'm not a licensed therapist, but most of the time I do a lot of the things that therapists do, like listening to people, all of that. But my job is supposed to be, I am there from the start of a crime. So once in a crime happens, whether it be a domestic violence incident or a mm. sexual assault incident, I can be there as early as like it just got done and I meet with the victim or wow. at the hospital where they're transferred to all the way up until the court hearing where they're convicted or even after that, like the healing process of being there. Like I'm kind of like the support person that's going to be there throughout the entire journey. Like, you know, a lot of people need that in this very, very sensitive time. And most people don't even know I exist for yeah. that reason. Um, but I wanted to bring awareness to that today because you don't, these things you do not have to do alone. And it's very yeah. hard to try to do it alone. Um, and that's where my job comes in. You know, let me be that person to lean on because this is something that a lot of people don't know how to handle. So... That is very true. We are not socialized. <laughs> no. To, yeah. Well, there is really no uh, how to prepare yourself for trauma to happen. Absolutely. Like, that's <laughs> ridiculous. Um, but yeah, just knowing that you're not alone. It's it's sad how common the, that violence happens. Um, yeah. But it is cool to know that like you don't have to be alone in this process. That's like, I want to put context to the cult, the cultural religious context to wanting to be alone, right? Like we, mm -hmm. we like to bear that cross, like that is something celebrated in our culture, which is really hurting us in that way. It's just like, well, you know, Jesus suffered on the cross, I'm going to suffer through this trauma. And it's like, yeah. no, we're just perpetuating more um, hurt in our daily interactions, in yeah. the way we process information. Um, in the way we intentionally choose loneliness over like um, companionship. So yeah, it's you're right about that. Yeah, I saw it a lot in my mom as far as like cultural, because it was mostly like shame. Mm -hmm. So like like you know when my parents got divorced, my grandmother was the first one to say, "Why are you divorcing him? Right. You stay with him no matter what. You don't get divorces. Filipinos don't do that. Yeah. You don't do it because it's like seen as a sin in our religion." Yeah. And so she didn't really want to tell anyone. She didn't want to do it because you're breaking up the family. Or so it's doing on all her. this thing. Yeah, of course. <laughs> exactly. Why would I be on the goddamn Exactly. It's that Eve. <laughs> Um, I really feel for your mom. I, I hope she values the work that you are. Or maybe oh, absolutely. Even like amazing. coming here today, she was like, "Yeah, if if you can tell people about our story and it changes oh. someone's life." So yeah, she's a she's an amazing woman. I love her. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I guess so. Let's start from there. Like, um, how did you get into this profession? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well being you know where I came from I always at first I just wanted to know why people did what they did like why was my dad like this mm. why just kind of do my own soul searching and try mm -hmm. to figure out but you know like when you're kind of broken you can't really find <sighs> things right away um so when I started going to school and going to criminal justice I met someone who was a victim advocate 
And I was like, oh, I didn't know there was people out there. Like, my mom was so alone in this process, and she's, like, you know, such an independent woman, but she didn't have to be. So after, like, seeing that and seeing that I could help people the way, like, my mom helped me through this, I felt like, oh, I had to do something because, you know, there's so many women, males even, like, that go through stuff like this every day and if I can be some kind of like a tribute to that where I have been through this and I can relate like Mm. a lot of healing happens when someone can understand what you're going through Mm -hmm. yeah your work comes from a very authentic place and Mm -hmm. you know you talk a lot about like your mom and what she's been through and the Mm -hmm. strength that she had to accumulate but I and one of the first um conversations that we've had um when we were just friends like I loved your analysis of what it means for your dad yes absolutely um like we were saying Mm -hmm. I told you you know my dad I was a really angry person and just angry at him like Mm. why are you like this like it's your fault but a lot of the times we have to think about what tools they were given Mm -hmm. you know my dad wasn't given the tools to be a parent, Mm -hmm. you know, looking at his mom and his dad, they were treated the same way. And that's why we talk about like the cycle of violence. Like if you're taught one thing your whole life, how are you going to know any different? Like my dad was not an affectionate person, but Mm -hmm. no one ever hugged him when he was younger. No Mm -hmm. one ever told him, I love you when Mm -hmm. you were younger. So I had to kind of put that in perspective. Like, you know, I can't expect someone to raise me a certain way or to treat me a certain way if they were never given the tools to do so. Um, Yeah, um, you know, we related on our fathers and the divorce and whatnot and, like, mm -hmm. kind of, like, what masculinity is for them and, Mm -hmm. like, how womanizing is kind of celebrated in a subtle sense Mm -hmm. and being a silent, obedient wife in letting the womanizing take place. Exactly. it's it's painful because it's like I feel like no one's truly studying what particularly that generation of men mm-hmm. and those types of choices lead them to it because like when I think about my dad and everything in mm-hmm. the similar vein of domestic violence and whatnot I also think about like how being a womanizer is sort of an escapist thing for him right mm-hmm. like no consequence and this is a bachelorhood and why mm-hmm. this long-term bachelorness if that's even a word mm-hmm. um, is tied into keeping us in line through violence, right? Like, mm-hmm. no, no, I'm, I can have it all as a Filipino man. I can have mm-hmm. nuclear family. I can have all the women who want me from high school to now, and I can do what I, like, want with my money in this life. It's just, like, Absolutely. it boggles my mind because, like, um, I feel like it's really an understudied subject, and you're, like, the only gate mm-hmm. that kind of has that sign, so. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> Um, I guess uh, for some context, how old are your dads? I would say my dad's in his early 60s now. So my my dad is, I think, he, yeah, he's 50 now. So there's a little, like, 10-year difference. But I think, like, talking to you, it was a lot of the same yeah. issues. So I think it's just something that hasn't been brought up. Even their peers. Mm-hmm. A lot mm-hmm. of them are divorced. Mm-hmm. A lot of them have experienced domestic violence. So, um, from man to woman, like, so I just, I don't know. What's your take on that? Um, my parents are older. Um, they're in their eighties. 
um, but very much that machismo, that Filipino mm-hmm. machismo is very mm-hmm. much a thing like that I see in that generation of men in my family, in my extended family. Um, I Can I ask, uh, what's your relationship with your dad now? Um, so after the whole healing process happened and before I got into the field, I wanted to make sure that I didn't have any anger or hostility. So right after I graduated, I started to talk to him again and was like, you know, I need to have this heart to heart with you so I can fully be over this and nothing is holding me back from helping people. So now, yeah, so we had this heart to heart and it was a lot of crying, a lot of anger. And obviously, you know, he didn't fully understand Um, At the end of the day, he didn't understand why I was so angry or why I was. Mm -hmm. And that was really like a switch for me to be like, he truly, truly does not see it. Like, it's not Mm -hmm. that he doesn't want to. It's that he really doesn't understand it. And it's nothing he did or I did. It was just something I had to accept. And after that, like, we have a better relationship now. Obviously, it's going to be a little awkward and, you know, because there's so much that has gone mm-hmm. gone mm-hmm. on for so many years and um it's like trying to get to know each other again so just like a stranger trying to build a relationship again so that's wow. where we are now yeah. <laughs> that is um i don't know what to yeah, <laughs> like it's a lot. It's a lot. I know. <laughs> that's very humanizing yeah. and very yeah. compassionate and um that's like a you are beyond (laughs) um so folks listening like um don't feel like you have to (laughs) um be that way to your perpetrators or whatever um because i mean it comes with your own time you are on your own clock um it's a good but that is and i will say uh, this is after 10 years of not talking to my father wow so it's not it's not overnight success uh, yeah this is I didn't, like, one day was like, oh, we're good now. Like, it's not like that at all. Sometimes for me, it's hard to process, like, how I um, came up as a feminist with a father who's a womanizer. Like, Mm -hmm. that really generational, like, whoa, ends of the spectrum. So that's why I'm, like, I'm so astonished with the three of us sitting here um, in our different responses to this machismo life, right? Yeah. It's... And it was a lot of attributed to my mom. Like, if I didn't have such, like, a strong role model, I wouldn't know who I am. I wouldn't know how to move on or know what my self-worth was. Or I would probably be meeting guys who are just the same. Wow. It's, like, my mom's the one who really stopped the cycle for me because she's the one who left. Mm. You know, and that was huge, huge for me. Gosh, it's just, it's... It's a lot, you know, <clears throat> when my mom was going through it, she told, uh, she told the cops, please, like, don't, don't put him in, <laughs> like, don't give him consequence, and the police officers were like, don't, don't? I mean, mm-hmm. he, he hurt you, mm-hmm. and, um, but that is definitely, falls into the line of, like, gotta protect mm-hmm. um, the privateness of what happens in these homes, and huge, huge So was thing. the... I mean, if this is, I don't, I don't know if this is all I know. <laughs> did he also hurt other members of the family besides your mom? Yes. So, um, like I was saying, he did abuse me and my brothers as well. I have two brothers. Mm. Um, so <clears throat> it was 
it was a huge effect on all of us, really. You know, me and my brothers had to kind of go through trauma a different way. Mm. You know, like, it's different. It's different when, like, your spouse is hurting you and then, like, my own father is hurting mm-hmm. me. So it's a different dynamic, different type of healing. So, yes, he was, and it was the whole, like, saving face thing. No mm-hmm. one else knew. No one else, because he didn't want to look bad in front of anyone. He didn't want anyone knowing that, oh, I hit my children, I hit my mom. And right. So it's crazy to me that, no one did anything but then again like in front of people we don't you don't talk about it you don't talk about this is our life you talk to family why would you talk to a therapist why would you talk to a friend they don't know your family they don't know you it's kind of like a secret uh silent network right like how Mm -hmm. there's a gossip network within our culture there's also a silent network because even relatives would ask each other and they only told it discloses to me much later like um we didn't know how well you guys would turn out or like how, mm-hmm. how we would end up mm-hmm. so but bystander right uh mm-hmm. yeah so how uh, aside so i how do i say this <laughs> i guess because as a victim advocate like that's your job but it it must bleed into your personal life or like um no actually uh, like it's it's amazing to me that it doesn't um but I think because my end goal is I'm listening to help. Like, I'm not there to take on wow. their their um, issues. I'm there to guide them and not be, like, this shining hero that's going to fix everything for them. You know? Take note, y'all. <laughs> yeah, I'm not... So important. Because <laughs> I'm definitely a fixer. Like, in my personal mm. life, I'm definitely the one. But I... you. One thing I learned from, like, my own counseling is that, you know, fixing people's problems only handicaps them. Like, no one taught me. No one taught me how to go through this life of trauma. No one had, like, held my hand through it. I had to learn on my own. But that's why I turned out to be such a strong person. So you need to give that opportunity to people. Yeah. So another really unique thing when I first met you, Jenna, that is that when I found out you worked for Metro, and then I found out that you were an advocate, and then I found out that you were one of the very few Filipinas, or even the, the, only. the only one, in our, <laughs> yes. like, yeah, that's, mm-hmm. and you're also young, and it's just, like, mm-hmm. your phenomenon in, like, and I'm not romanticizing that, right, like, because mm-hmm. this is the work that we do in mm-hmm. finding key people who are not written into history, like, mm-hmm. um, I mean... I can't, I can't, it still boggles my mind every time you tell me this, because it's like, how does somebody arrive to where you are? Especially mm-hmm. like, you know, how trauma in my life has played self-deprecating, right? It's like, mm-hmm. I can't, I can't do this certain point, mm-hmm. you know? So mm-hmm. it's like, I don't know how to get where you are. Well, for me, it was just, honestly, when I first applied for this job, I was like, oh, I'm so young, like, I'm not going to do this, like the whole ages and thing, like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't have enough experience, I'm not right off college I can't do anything and then my mom was just like just try it just try it and then when I went up against because it's a long process it's like you have a written test an oral board which is like an interview background test everything like that and to go up against all these people who are way older than me I was the youngest one there Mm. I'm like oh I'm screwed um but it just so happened that they, like, loved my personality, and mm-hmm. that trumped over, like, any experience anyone else did, and 
seeing that I was like super passionate about it, I think that's what was the turning point for them where it was like, okay, we need her because I know like she's truly there to help people. It's a genuine feeling. Wow. Is, is it a, cause I don't know anything about, um, how big is your department? So, um, as far as like the department in its entirety, it's a lot. It's probably over 10,000 people. Holy um, shit. <laughs> of, of advocates? No, no, no. Oh, okay. No. Of, uh, of like the department, but we're okay. very, very small. Okay. I think that's, so, that's what I meant is how okay. many little victim <laughs> advocates So we have, are... we have eight. We oh have my eight. gosh. For whole, wait, for the, just quite counting or for the whole state of Nevada? Uh, for... Um, I guess me- metro. Metro. So metro time. is like most of. Do you know how many are in Henderson? Vegas? One. Holy shit! So I think that's why like you have to account for like outside agencies that also do. Yeah. So victim, we are the victim. largest department. Yeah. So there's no other like there's you know nonprofit. Yeah. There's those that have like several advocates, several volunteers, wow. but as far as like. You know, systematic right. advocates. There's not that many. This is so much to process. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just because, like, uh, like the culture of misogyny, and yeah, and it's they don't. It's not recognized as something like needed, right? You know, just but it's like definitely frequently them. happening in our city mm-hmm. for sure. We are one of the <sighs> top for sure <laughs> in yeah. domestic violence, so. Um, wow. I mean, it's just, it's really, I mean, all this stuff is really heavy for good reasons. And, um, did you do any type of work before becoming an advocate? Yeah. Um, so I was in marriage and family first, marriage and family therapy. Um, and I thought, you know, maybe I need to get into therapy because maybe that's the route I need to take to like help people. But, um, it was like, I didn't like it that much, so I had done a lot of casework, and I wasn't really helping the population I wanted to help. Wow. So it was more like, you know, depression, anxiety, all of that stuff, and I was like, no, I really want to be in domestic violence. So that was the transition there. This is such a, like, Jessica Jones moment. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, no. (laughs) You have your degree in criminal justice? In uh, psychology, actually. Okay. And a minor in criminal justice. Okay. Okay. Just for any potential yeah. um, advocates, that visibility is important. So yeah, yeah, it's the track to um, that you know you've gone through. Mm-hmm. So um, I just want to go over real quick. Um, what are the motivations ha- of how you do your work, and how do you take care of yourself in doing this work? Um, yeah. So the motivations, like I said before, were just to help people like me um, and like my mom to get through this. You know, it's really rewarding. It's I love having people like hug me and just say like how grateful they are, how they didn't realize they didn't have to go through it alone. Um, And self-care honestly is leaving it at work, you know, leaving Mm. it at work, doing whatever you love to do, whether it be kickboxing Mm -hmm. or, you know, just taking time alone. You know, you really need to love yourself in that aspect where it's just, I need to be away from people, just give me my me time throughout the day great and um one of the what's your vision for creating these safe spaces um so 
I don't know if I told you, but I work at the Family Justice Center, um, and we're like a one-stop shop for victims of domestic violence and sexual assault. So we do everything there, whether it be advocacy, we have lawyers there to ask for legal advice, you know, filing protection orders to get you safe. So being aware of there's these type of spaces that you can go to and they're safe and there's metro there that protects us if anything happens um and as well as like creating safe spaces within our communities as far as you know look beyond the surface of what is going on a lot of people get frustrated with like oh you're going back with him or oh you know, you're not telling us anything. Why are you so ashamed? Why is all that? When there's yeah. so many things that go within it, just like we talked about, you know, yeah. culturally, religiously. Yeah. I think we need like a part two. I for know. sure. <laughs> yeah, because I'm sure that this will stir up a lot of um, conversations for people who are definitely repressing this mm-hmm. and probably either want to reach out to Jenna mm-hmm. or want to ask real questions. So if, the, if you know, if Jenna's open for a part two, we would, we will. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, can you tell us that um, the center that you just mentioned again? It is the Family Justice Center. Okay. Um, can we post the information? Absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. And I can yeah. give a brochure of information, all of that Great. as well. So. Um, so any last words, Nicole, for our friend Jenna for this part one of many? <laughs> <laughs> I want to really thank you for being here. Um, I... I know some of the folks that work at the Women's Center here at, on campus, and like the work is not easy. I can mm-hmm. just see <laughs> the work is not easy. Um, so thank you for doing this work. Um, and I don't know I think uh, I gotta decompress. Not decompress, but I gotta. There's a lot to unpack. <laughs> oh no, I know. From this. Um, yeah. And thank you guys for having me. Like have this conversation. I'm so thankful. I think. I think that this is going to do a world of good for people as a starting jumping off point, Mm -hmm. Um, especially in our city where we're still trying to collectively come together in these heart to hearts. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm going to sign us off. This is Jean. This is Nicole. And Jenna. And we're a Panay podcast, magically disappointing and informing our parents. (laughs)